0: This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. We're overlooking the Temple Mount. Today's session is going to be an interesting one. Um, What we're going to talk about today is three things, and one one is God, Torah, and the last one's called Masorah. God, Torah, and Masorah. And what are we going to be discussing specifically? We're going to be discussing actually how do we, how do you know there's a God? And when it comes to Torah, how do we know Torah wasn't man written? And when it comes to Masurah is how do we know it's not broken telephone? Three, you know, the Torah was given 3,300 years ago. So who says it's not broken telephone? Who says that the Torah we live today, meaning the, our daily practice as Jews is actually relevant to what Moses said, like, would, would Moses even recognize us today? Now, I'm not sure he'd recognize my outfit, but would he recognize my tefillin? Would he recognize our Shabbat? Would he recognize the way we make Kiddush? Would he say, yeah, yeah, that's it. Or would he say, like, what is that? You hear the questions? Now, a lot of these questions are not allowed to be asked so much because 200 years ago, there was, over 200 years ago, there was something called the Haskalah, which we call in Hebrew, but in English, the word Haskalah means the Enlightenment Movement. The Enlightenment Movement was an amazing movement way back when, on the, this was a movement that the European countries came out from under the thumb of the church. And it was a big opening up and a big, like, amazing time. Because for the first time, people were able to recognize it was probably because it was on the heels of the Industrial Revolution. But people got a sense of their own power, their own abilities, their own that we can, we can make a difference you know, on our own. But they did that in the exclusion of God. Now, that movement would have been fabulous because it certainly put the church on the back burner. But the problem is that it, Judaism, the, the Enlightenment movement, hit Judaism by storm. Why? Because historically, in the last 2,000 years... Jews had a it was a community with only a one major scholar. You had one big rabbi and then you had the community. I mean a lot of Jews they say historians say that Jew, Jew the Jewish world was only 2 to 3% scholarship. We only had about 2 to 3% scholarship amongst our population about 200 years ago. And Today our scholarship's massive, like we have a massive scholarship, at least amongst the observant, but we have a, because one of the answers to the Enlightenment was because the Enlightenment took those areas by storm, one of the answers was we're going to make everyone a scholar so that when the Enlightenment comes to smash with all, you know, the latest whatever it's selling everybody, we're going to have proper scholars who can answer those questions. And and that was the original answer to enlightenment. But there were two answers to enlightenment. One was the Litvish or Lithuanian answer, and the other was the Hasidish answer to the enlightenment. Now, the Litvish answer to enlightenment was we're going to all be scholars. We're going to turn everyone into a rabbi. We're going to have a rabbi epidemic. And in fact, my sons are being trained to be rabbis. You know, whether they'll do it as a career or whether they don't do it as a career will not. Be, will not be so relevant compared to the fact that they'll be Torah scholars. And they're just being trained to be Torah scholars, and it's just the way it goes. And have an oldest son who's a serious Torah scholar. And so, the, so that was the litvish answer. The Hasidish answer was no more questions. Just no more questions. Meaning we're not, we're not having the discussion. No, we're not gonna talk about this. Now, whether you, if you were female though, whether you were the, whether you were um, Hasidish or from the Lithuanian schools, we aren't going to talk about this. Meaning, uh, Yeah, that's what they, the teacher's answer is, you don't ask questions of God. <laughs> Which is like, not a very nice thing to say. And I wasn't asking God a question, I was asking the teacher a question. You know, I'm not asking God. So, But they, they'll say like, you don't ask God questions. That's, that's kind of the patent answer. And the Hasidim were very similar. They were like, we're not going to be part of this enlightenment, you know, question and answer session. We are going to just serve God simply. Okay. And it was probably a pretty good move. And in the end, the, the Hasidic uh, community decided they're also going to make yeshivas. So the Litvaks made yeshivas first. Later, the Hasidim acquiesced and put their boys in yeshivas as well. So it was a, it was a later iteration that the Hasidim joined the yeshiva movement. But the Hasidic Yeshiva movement is not interested in the conversation. They're not interested in that dialogue because the, the answer to the Enlightenment was was basically this. It's like we're not, we're not involved. We're not getting into it. And so that was considered the answer. Now, fast forward a couple hundred years, here we are in 2018, and there's a lot of young people who were raised in those communities, they were raised in schools, for example, in this room alone, uh, who was raised in a school where, where, you know, at least most of the years, unless you had a really unique educator who would actually welcome those questions and knew how to deal with them, who at least for a lot of their years were being educated by people who would not appreciate your questions. Raise your hand. Okay, so so about about half of you, maybe a little more and one girl had both hands up. So, <laughs> so I guess that was like extra emphasized that questions were not were not to be asked. Now, I'd first like to defend that position and then I would like to not discuss that position anymore. So to in defense of that position, the the simple connection to God that comes from the heart and from the instincts is is stronger than an intellectually acquired knowledge that there's God. You get that? Meaning, let's put it like this: Asia Torah is famous for giving intellectual answers on how we know there's God, how we know Torah is true. Like we have our discovery program, talks all about Torah being true. And they're hoping everyone's smart enough to say, well, if Torah wasn't written by man, then there must be a God. So they're moving. They're going from Torah to God. You get that? They're moving straight from Torah to God. And then now all that's left is to discuss Messorah, which they don't talk about that much these days. But the Discovery Seminar used to have a whole part of it was about Messorah. Now, do you guys know what Messorah means? Messorah just means the transmission. So maybe I'll switch that out for people watching this on Facebook and stuff. Also um, I would suggest um, people sharing this uh, if you go online you can share it uh, what are we doing right here the, what are, transmission. transmission feel free to share it and also uh, uh, what was I gonna, oh I'm, I'm about to start doing live, live webinars in personal transformation so I'm about to be going live and doing a, you know very high-tech webinars for people to join and uh, so those are coming up soon now. Now so the connection, like what Aishator gives you here, will never give you here. And so what'll happen is you'll get a guy who knows and now it includes prayer, meaning but prayer is from here from here. Where's prayer from? It's from here. And so if you only know here, prayer is gonna be like rough. It's gonna be hard to dive in if you only know here. Also, when things go wrong, you know, Michael, you notice God sends curveballs sometimes. Oh, your name's not Michael. (laughs) What's your name back there? (laughs) Oh. I met you yesterday. For some reason, when we got in the room yesterday, I was like, that's Michael. Um, David, you notice God throws curveballs sometimes? You ever got a flat tire? (laughs) Other things. Other things. No flat tires. So God does throw curveballs. And... Knowing up here isn't going to help that much when you're going through something rough. You you need that deeper instinctual, the deeper know, you know, that know too. It's also in in marriage, it's the same thing is that you, you know you're married, but you actually need to connect. You know, it's not enough to just know you're married. You got to connect. And anyone who's just going with the knowledge of their married and not connecting to their spouse is going to, you know, That's going to have major repercussions. and all relationships, you know you're in a relationship. question is, how about the actual connection? So that was all in defense of the go straight from the heart and not from the head. Back to the head is that when you're a teenager and you're being asked to do thousands of things, like thousands. Do you know how many laws there are in Judaism? How many laws are there? Well, how many commandments are there? 613. 613. And when you click on all those commandments and you go to the, you know, each commandment comes with its own website, it comes out to 55,000 laws. Now, we're expecting our kids, like this young 15-year-old son of mine here, we're expecting him to do all that stuff. We expect all of it. Okay, so why would he do it? Why would a 15-year-old do it? Don't forget that, Let's. can I tell you what you call a 16-year-old in Hebrew? Let's ask my 15 year old. How do you call a 16 year old? Teepeche-sree. Right? Right? From the word tepech, which means idiot, yeah? teepeche right? why? Because every teenager from around the year 16 till about 20 or plus, maybe 20 usually, is an absolute idiot, an absolute idiot. You know, many of the guys, he's just insane. He's like temporarily insane for four years. <laughs> now, um, just parenthetically, why teenagers are insane, I think I wanna mention here. The reason why teenagers are insane there is uh, there's a lot of factors involved, but I just want to share one funny one. And that is that they test the parents. They test the parents. Not every single one. Sometimes you have kids who aren't so good and they don't test the parents. But when you have a nice good boy, yeah, he's good, meaning he's a real male. So if you have a good boy, he's going to test. You heard I just flipped what good is? Okay, because what they call a good boy to me is called a little girl. And a good boy is going to test, pushes the limits. He's going to, he's going to push him back, push him back. That's a, that's a man. Yeah, a man's going to push back. And so the, um, so when you have a good boy, he pushes back. Well, when you're living in a very monochronastic, you know, orthodox community, it gets embarrassing for the parents to have a son pushing back. It's embarrassing. And now the parents are embarrassed and the parents get all bent out of shape and stuff. And then the parents are like, well, what am I even doing all this for? Like why? They get the Rivka statement, you know, Rebecca, she said, what am I living for? What am I even living for? If my son's acting like this or my daughter, there's daughters doing this too, or my daughter, if my child's thusly, then what am I living for? They have to go through that. It's a terrible crisis. And you know why it's really important? is because you've got to answer the question. What are you living for? What are you living for? And if the answer is to please the Joneses, or in this case the Schwartzes next door, if you're living to look good for the Schwartzes, well, there's no next world for that. There's no next world. You don't get to go into the next world having kept Judaism because you were trying to keep up with the Schwartzes. That doesn't, it doesn't have any currency up there. It's like trying to pay for Starbucks with a 50 shekel bill. They won't give you your coffee. Okay? You need dollars. It's the wrong currency. So if your currency is how your family looks in front of the community, well, you've then get ready for nothing when you die. And so God sends teenagers to push all your buttons to totally freak you out and to make you go through major conniptions otherwise known as crisis. And to the point where you, you don't even know what you're living for, what you're doing all the sacrifice for when you're keeping the Torah. You mind sitting next to this Jew here? Yeah, yeah. So yeah, I just need someone right above my camera eye here so, so at least the people watching this feel like I'm speaking to them. Okay? Hi, everyone there. So this guy's perfectly set up, though. Anyway, the... Your parents are going through a conniption, and they have to ask themselves, what am I living for? And then, hopefully, they get to the answer, is I'm living for God. Forget you, chump. I mean, they look at their teenage kid, and they're like, you know what? You're going to do whatever you're going to do. We got our eyes on the truth, and we're just going, like, full on. We're breaking off our rearview mirrors. We're breaking off our, sorry, with those side view. We're breaking off our side view mirrors. We're breaking off our rearview mirror. (laughs) We're putting our pet on the meadow. Who cares what the neighbors say? We're not doing this for the neighbors. We're doing this because there's a God. And God gave us commandments. And that's why we do what we do. And two things may happen. And hopefully they do. Either one is the kid says, well, since my parents don't seem, I can't seem to ruffle their feathers anymore. So the kid starts get, coming back to his senses. Or the opposite is, or no, or they finally, their brain chemistry comes back to normal. When they're about twenty, and they get back with the program that they were supposed to be on in the first place, but it's a tremendous gift to the parents. This uh, this adolescent, you know, flip out that teenagers go through. Any of you teenagers, you're not being filmed. Any of you guys have, go through this as teenagers? Flip your parents out a little bit? Come on, come on, yeah, all right, all right, all right. That's good. That's good. Me too. <laughs> Now, moving on. So we got teenagers growing up today with all these expectations. And sadly, a lot of the expectation is built with the fear of rejection of the community in the parents. And the kid winds up saying, you know why I'm doing all these mitzvahs? I'm doing all these mitzvahs because if I didn't do all these mitzvahs, the backlash would be too much. You get that it's because the backlash would be too much if I didn't do the commandments I wouldn't want to deal with the, the backlash not in the community not amongst my friends don't forget all these kids are in school they have peers and they don't want to in the and there's a very you guys ever heard of the frum yet the frum yet I'll translate it's the evil inclination to become even more observant <laughs> <laughs> I'll give you one, in, one iteration of it. You get these guys, um, we get them in age sometimes, although we don't get it as much as some other yeshivas, I'll leave nameless, is because we stop them when we see this. But once in a while, a student will get so observant, so quick, till he explodes and drops everything. So now, there's rabbis who don't have enough experience will pat him on the head the whole time. Ooh, look at him, you know, he's the rabbi's pet. You know, he's like, oh... Ranan, can you sit next to next to um, Chaim? Place? So, he's the rabbi's pet, man. He's the guy, like, every mitzvah you tell him about, he takes on. The guy just can't stop taking on commandments. So, what do we do with that guy? In Asha Torah, we spray him down with a fireman hose. Yeah, we, we just cool that boy off. Because we know about the yet Zahara. It gets you to take everything on, and then you explode, and you run for your life. Whereas the... The, um, there's other yeshivas that will pat him on the back, pat him on the head, and he'll explode later. But sadly, and I've had to deal with this a lot, they explode once they're already married with children. And this woman's like my husband's freaking out. He's like dropping Judaism like a hot potato. And we're in the middle of this community. And it's like, what am I going to do? And that's why slow growth into these 55,000 laws needs is important you got to go slow now but that's tough how do i go slow if i know this is obligatory meaning it's shabbos now like how do i go slow like you can't do malacha on shabbos so i, I know the rabbi told me to slow down but what am i supposed to do it's shabbos so it's not easy you got to learn how to go slow and chill out with yourself one of the things to go slow and for sure is your appearance Real slow with your appearance. That's, that's for sure. Meaning your clothing. You know, don't grow these babies. You know, in your first week in your sheep. You know, right? these have to grow slow. You know, once in a while we get this this hippie guy. Um, oh, we need three uh, here. Come over here, ladies. Ah, yeah, maybe slide or yeah, you can skip. Two seats right here, ladies. Grab that seat. Don't sit next to the Hasidic man, please. So, (laughs) or else this flight's going to get majorly delayed. Now, the... Now, the... um, Where are we holding? Oh, we get these hippie guys who cut off all their hair and leave their payas. (laughs) So, you you know what I mean? Like, they got beautiful payas automatically. Like... Instant payas. Now that's fine for a three-year-old who's been looking at his father and dreaming of the day he finally has payas and not a big mop top. But when there's, when there's a hippie guy who comes to Jerusalem and just wants to look like all these Hasidim, and so he cuts his hair and he leaves his payas, <laughs> you know what we say to him? We say payas grow from the inside. <laughs> Cut it all off. You know, you're never allowed to cut over two, you know, you can't cut more than two and a half, three millimeter here. Don't forget that. That's a commandment. So if you're going to cut it all off, you got to keep two, three millimeters over the jawbone area. Okay. Preferably up to the hairline here, just like that. And the anyway, but you want to grow payas, grow them from the inside. And also, I always tell every Baltshuva that he gets to, you get to cut your payas once. You know, if you grow them and you realize that was a bad move. So then you get one cut. You get to cut them off once. If you ever grow them again, it's forever. It's forever. So you get one chance to cut your payas off if you see it really wasn't going to be for you. Anyway, by the way, that hippie guy who leaves his payas, you know what he does? He's Because it's such an external thing. Is Everywhere he goes, he's just his past he, he walks across the study alley. It's just, here come my payas walking across the study hall. And then he goes down to the coteau. Here come my payas at the coteau. You know, they, they like become payas. They're like overwhelmed by their own payas. Okay, back to us. Is that our teenagers want answers. We're expecting a tremendous amount out of these teens. They want to know how it's true. How, how do they know it's true? And you want to know something kids want to know. Kids want to know. I recently had one of my children, who's quite young, say to me, how do we even know that Torah is true? And how do we even know there's a God? And how do we even know that the, that, the, that the rabbis are who they say they are? And one of my children said that. I was like, yes. You know why? Because you can't teach someone who doesn't have a question. What happens when someone tries to teach you before you have the question? doesn't go anywhere, really. What is a question? A question is a vessel. It's a vessel for an answer, but if you try to answer something that's never a question to begin with, it doesn't go very far. So I was very excited about that. <laughs> so let's do. Uh, let's spend the rest of our time focused on God, Torah, and transmission, and uh, and let's see how we do. Now, the first question is, how do we know there's a God? Now, when I say no, I mean specifically no. I do not mean belief, as clearly was our last twenty-minute introduction. We're discussing be- not belief. We're discussing knowledge, okay, knowledge. So the first thing to note is that there are two types of knowledge. When it comes to knowledge, there are two types. One is called absolute, and the other is called, anyone know, you know what it's called, the other kind of knowledge? Uh, maybe I stumped everybody, yeah? Relative. Relative knowledge? Probable. It kind of is relative knowledge, but we have a term for it. Probable. Prob- Excellent, but there's a term. What's the term? Okay, I'm going to give it away slowly. D-E-D-U. Deductive? Yeah, she got it. Deductive. What does that mean? Figured it out for yourself. You you figured it out. Now, how did you figure it out? I mean, if you figured it out for yourself, so let me show you how it works. So the way it works is this is the evidence scale. Okay, this is evidence. Hochachot, yeah. Evidence. And... This person down here is just pure faith, meaning anyone who's not on the evidence line is just on the pure faith. So this is just uh, pure faith down here. And now this person's developing evidence. Now it depends who you are to get the evidence. Now up here is absolute, don't forget. Okay, this is absolute. And anywhere under absolute is going to be deductive. And that's going to be deductive knowledge. Um, just to explain deductive again. Deductive means that, that you figured it out. You know, like, for example, um, this guy, my son rides, he has shoes with wheels on the bottom. Now, I think if any of us who would get on shoes with wheels on the bottom would be on our behinds probably within a second. We would just go, whoop, and it would not feel very good <laughs> on your tailbone. Now, he also may... He also may, but because he's done it enough meaning he's already fallen enough times to know how not to fall. Doesn't mean he's never gonna fall. But he's willing to go have fun on those things, which he's wearing them right now. He's willing to go have fun on those things because he's gathered enough evidence that you can have fun without big wipeouts. You know, he'll wipe out sometimes, but it's still worth it. And he's gathered enough evidence that he got to the point of evidence, but probably more down here he got to the point of evidence that like it's worth it to try those and he risks his tailbone every time and he knows would he, would you, does he know it's worth it does he know it's worth it to ride those things he knows it and that's why he's on it now did any of you know your airplane was going to arrive in Israel when you got on it no you did not well the answer is you did no no you did know but you didn't know this kind of knowledge which kind of knowledge deductive the plane made it to that airport you know they didn't just build the plane in that airport it's been flying made it to that airport you believe the faa isn't on strike you believe that the uh that chances are they haven't replaced the ll pilots with special saudi arabian sit-ins yeah you you've got you know you you deduce it you get that and it hits your threshold now, your threshold's even lower than you saw in Yours is down here. Because I don't think anyone called the FAA. And you call the FAA, make sure they weren't on strike that day. Federal Aviation Association. No one called. And you check the gas tank of the plane. Anyone go kick the tires down on the tarmac? Yeah, no one went and kicked the tires. You just got on there. So your threshold's super low, and you risked your life. And you do it all the time. And we just came in my car. I didn't take the car for a checkup before I got in the car with my children and drove across Jerusalem. Didn't check it out. Didn't check out the train. Didn't check out this. Didn't check out that. Don't check out my car. Don't check out... Tell me, did I know my wife was going to be the perfect woman for me? when I'm uh, Even under the chuppah. I already made the decision. We're under the chuppah. Do I know? I don't know. But what I did was I... Decided on her side means decide is from the word side, meaning to eliminate you know, like pesticide, homicide, genocide, suicide. De- I decided, meaning I eliminated all the other women that were around that time, you know, because Asia tour guys have a certain dating pool called Neve, And and so I just eliminated a lot of options. Eliminate, 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 boom, there she was. You know, she had the most positive and the least negatives on her. And she had absolutely no negatives, obviously, in case she watching. watch it. And the, uh, <laughs> she's not watching. And, and I made my decision. Now, did I know with absolute knowledge? No. Did I risk my life? Yes. So we see that we make deductive knowledge moves all the time, and it's very rare we even have absolute knowledge when we make decisions. Very rare. So I want you all to get that right now—that you risk your life all the time. Yeah? Did you? It's all like, did you check my tires before we left the house? That my car wasn't going to suddenly like flip? No. You you risk it because after enough times, yeah. So the same goes with God. When it comes to God, you can push it, too. You can get go for a lot of evidence. Don't expect absolute knowledge of God. Because if you had absolute knowledge of God, I guess you'd be a prophet. I Meaning a prophet has absolute knowledge of God. Because they have prophecy. Prophecy's not coming from you, that's for sure. Prophecy's coming from above. How about the people at Mount Sinai? The Jews at Mount Sinai. Absolute or deductive? Absolute. They got absolute. Okay, they lucked out. They got absolute. Not everyone gets that. Now, who gets more? Who gets more reward for putting on tefillin? Us or them? Us. We get more reward because we're not coming from absolute. We're coming from deductive. Now, deductive. Let's say with Torah, you're you're over here. Like you got this much evidence. Well, what's this area here? What is that area? That area is where they're, they're, you know, where you didn't get all the way. You know, unless you met God. You're not going to get all the way. And that's okay. This is why doubt's okay in Judaism. You're not going to hell for doubt. There's no Doubt's fine. It's kosher. You're allowed to have some doubt. But the problem is so many teenagers faced, well, the whole thing is doubt because the system doesn't allow questions. And so the whole entire thing's doubt. We had one gigantic question mark from the beginning to the end. So this is an important thing and we haven't even gotten to the knowledge of God yet. We're just getting clear about what is knowledge. And that's deductive knowledge. That's the first thing you gotta get, get under your belt. Is that we're gonna this is something we deduce. Do you have a question? Please? Not really. Everything is absolute. I mean, What's that? Everything
1: is out there
0: there is there is something of Everything is deductive because, let's say, uh, I that absolute. We call that absolute, but Maybe, I'm sure you, you're, you're about to tell us why it's deductive. I'm Maybe you're hallucinating. Yeah, so it's deductive, but I'm not hallucinating. <laughs> That's cute, but I'm not going there right now. Okay, <laughs> let me keep moving here. Um, I just want to mention one thing, and we, and this, and now you will understand why I did this. Is that we all got to be very careful of something. We all have to be very careful of the fear factor. Fear factor. See, if it's a matter of, you know, whether you're going to go to eat at this restaurant or that restaurant, and you're trying to deduce which one would be better, is there a fear factor? Maybe a little one. that You know, their omelet was overcooked and their omelet was properly cooked you know that's the risk now is that a big fear factor that's a very little fear factor how about marriage big factor fear factor a little gigantic gigantic god bigger little fear factor it's pretty big if not maybe the biggest why because if there's a god suddenly well, depending on when we get to Torah, but you know, without Torah, maybe it's not such a big fear factor. But if God comes with the Torah package, you know, if it comes with the Torah, how big's the fear factor? It's a pretty big fear factor because that means I got to do stuff and I got to stop doing other stuff. No more Dodger dogs. Yeah. If there's if 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 the gods if the, if God comes with fear. So then what happens is we thought this was our threshold but what happens is or whatever your threshold is and one more thing is depending on your educational background you might need more evidence understand that this could be like a you know a high school dropout who smokes weed all day and you know and got some evidence there's a god and this could be a college graduate, this could be someone with a PhD in philosophy or a PhD in physics or a PhD, you understand? They're going to have different criteria and that's fine. There's nothing wrong with people having different criteria. The problem is when there's a fear factor because what happens with people who are scared to death of marriage? Let's say their parents had a crash and burn marriage. They've already had several crash and burn relationships. So what's going to happen is no matter what evidence they get that this person is good for them, They will always need more. They'll always need more. It's never enough. And you find people, the same thing when it comes to God, is that they have dishonest thresholds. And we found this a lot in the Torah, because we've got 40 years under our belts of teaching Torah from an intellectual perspective. You know, like, is there a God or is there not a God? Is there true or not true? So at the beginning of Dar, when we just got 40 kids off a of bus, and every single one of them, after spending three days with us, was like, okay, you're, you're right. Well, you know what happened next? They ran for their lives. They ran for their lives because of the, the fear factor. And then, so what happened, we were chased after them. We caught them by the central bus station. And we're like, where y'all going? And I'm like, well, we're not so sure that, you know. Mm. Yeah, I'm not so sure. Actually, you were sure. You were sure a couple days ago. You know what happened now. Uh, I'm not so sure. Well, then come back. We'll discuss more stuff. You got more questions? Maybe there's another issue. Let's talk about it. Mm. But we have people like that where no matter how much you how much you prove, it's never enough. Now, I just want to ask you real quick, what is the fear factor? What are they afraid of? Raise your hand. Someone tell me, what are they afraid of? What? Okay, very good. It's quoting uh, Cheech Marinov, Cheech and Chong. Responsibility is a heavy responsibility, man. Yeah. So they're afraid of the responsibility. Excellent. What else? Consequence. Okay. Meaning what, it mean, what it's going to mean for them. No, but what consequence? What are they afraid of? Yeah, they're going to, have to change their lifestyle. Where they go, where they eat, what they do on Saturday, you know. Like. That their oh, she got the true answer. Say it again. That oh, resentment. Okay, well, whatever. But what, what's everybody going to say? She said friends and family. What will they say? What are they going to say? You go turbo Jew. What they going to say? they going to say about you? And guess what? What what do you think is the number one fear? The change of lifestyle or what they're going to say? Which one? What they're going to say wins, hands down, by like a major margin. I'm sad to tell you. Major margin. In fact, we don't mind that much change. For example, uh, this guy in the back, what's your name? Alex. Alex, imagine you just got news right now. Your cell phone dings and you're like, it's your mother. And she's like, she's like, I don't know what happened, but did you buy a lottery chicken? You're like, yeah. And she's like, well, you're... A billionaire. You just want a billion dollars. It's going to be paid out over 30 years, but the first installment's like $100 million, and it's arriving Monday. Tell me, are you going to have a change in lifestyle? Probably. Probably? <laughs> 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 your phone's going to be ringing off the hooks for money managers and real estate developers and stuff. You you kidding? You're, you're going to have a, tons of shifts going on in your life. you going to enjoy them? Sure are going to enjoy them. Tell me how your friends and family are going to feel about knowing you. Real good about that. Real good about that. They're going to be super happy. This is going to be. You related to this man over here? Yes. It's your uncle. I was just kidding. It's your father. Father in law. Father in law. Father in law. Would you be happy about that? Um, that about it. <laughs> See, he supports him, and suddenly he doesn't have any more control, because you know the golden rule. Whoever has the gold makes the rules. So, anyway, father-in-law's happy, mother-in-law's happy, everybody's happy. But when you win the Torah lottery, not everyone's so happy. You can even find kids who were raised observant who got more observant, and the mother freaks, mother freaks, father freaks, and they're fully observant. Can you imagine parents freaking that their kids are getting more observant? Happens all the time. How about modern Orthodox kids whose kids become Haredi? Modern Orthodox parents whose kids become Haredi? Talk about freak. And that's that's an absolute, like, you know, all hell breaks loose. That happens. So, anyway, you understand what's going on is that we got to be aware of that. Now, I actually have an answer for that, but I'm not going to give it to you right now because we've got to talk about Torah... God, Torah, and transmission. Real quick. What is evidence? What do you mean by evidence? Well, let's talk about it now. So, what we mean by evidence is uh, let's start with this. Uh, we have an expanding universe. Okay, The world's expanding. We know this for a fact. That's not optional, that's not like open to discussion. We are in an expanding universe, things are getting further away. You know, our solar system seems seems to hang tight to the Sun, but when you get outside there and things are just moving, like moving, the universe is expanding. So then the question is, well maybe it expands and contracts, maybe it expands, contracts, expands, contracts. Nope. Turns out the physicists were able to prove that it's reached beyond the critical mass of expansion and it's going to continue expanding, which means it's always been expanding. It's just expanding. Well. Where's it expanding from? And the answer is, well, it must have all been at one point, at one point. It had to be at one point, at one point. Well, where did that point come from? Where did that point come from? And here's a really great mind bender. What's outside the point? Or what's outside our universe? Because if our universe is expanding into, it's got to be expanding into something. But it's not expanding into space. And it's not expanding into time. Because it is space and time. Our universe, our expanding universe is the space and the time. So, what is it expanding into? You ever thought about that? It's a wild thought. I mean, if you could somehow get a rocket ship going faster than the expansion and get out, where are you? Now, where are you? Because you're beyond space and time. Which means that on the other side of, of space and time is outside space and time. Hmm. Now, what does Judaism call something that's outside space and time? It begins with a G, comes up with an O, comes a big D. We call that God. God is outside space and time. Now, is God, is the definition of God outside space and time? No. It's that God cannot possibly be defined by space and time. Going back to the point, let's just say that point was always there, which also makes very little sense because, you know, everything comes from something. You ever notice that? Everything comes from something, like your baseball hat came from somewhere. So did everything. So did you, so did your table. No matter what you look at, it's cause and effect. Something comes from something else. Every single thing in the physical world comes from something else. So why in the world would we say that that first point was always there when every single thing in creation came from something? It must be that also came from something. Well, there was no something other than that point. Well, where did the point come from? So, of course, when you learn physics, as I did in college and high school and stuff, no one likes to talk about that much. And you should know that atheist physicists, are very uncomfortable with this discussion altogether. Because the actual theory that the world comes from a point and has been expanding since then, which they call the Big Bang Theory, it's only a theory, but that makes philosopher is very uncomfortable because that automatically posits God. Because where did that point come from? And if you want to say the point was already there, who banged it? Who banged the point? Now, let's go to the four-second proof of God. I've got many more of these. I don't want to end there, but we might have to just time-wise. Let's go to the four-second proof of God. Um, just real quick, just to get this done. Um, If this room were totally empty, meaning we emptied it out of people, out of tables, out of, you know, books, we just emptied out the room entirely. And then we sealed it, and we also hermetically sealed it, no dust could get in either. Nothing can get in here. We closed all the vents, it's perfectly hermetically sealed. And we came back a year later, what would be in this room? Nothing, very good, two years. What would be in the room? Everyone say it together. What would be in the room? Nothing. Ten years. Nothing. Thousand years. Nothing. Ten thousand years. Nothing. nothing. What does nothing make? Nothing. Nothing. makes nothing. Is that clear? Nothing makes nothing. Okay, here we go. Four-second proof of God on the stopwatch. Before there was something, there was nothing, and since nothing makes nothing, and now that there's something, it must be that nothing was God. I think I beat four seconds that time. But, okay, it was the two-second proof of God. Before there was something, there was nothing. And since nothing makes nothing, and now that there's something, it must be nothing was God. Okay? Before there was something, what was there? There was nothing. Well, what does nothing make? Nothing. Nothing. Well, there's something now. Now there's something. You know, Descartes, you know, there's something. And we know it comes from nothing, but nothing makes nothing. In this case, nothing's busy making something. Well, it must be the nothing was God. Now this, what's that? The no, way did not see that no dust could come in. And there was nothing. Could come in. There was nothing. There was absolutely nothing, including no dust. Uh-huh. The Ram- By the way, this is not my idea, the four-second proof of God. It was only my idea to do it in four seconds. The idea comes from the Rambam, who lived a thousand years ago. It's called the first cause proof of God. First cause proof. You can look it up. And, but you understand it's intuitive, it's basic, very simple, and it's incontrovertible. Now, of course, you have all kinds of atheist theorists who like to say, well, we don't know who there was, and maybe there was something, or, you know, you get things like that. And then, of course, you get the people saying, well, who made God? You ever heard that? Who made God? Now, of course, any mature adult wouldn't ask that question, who made God? Because we're talking about something that doesn't exist. In any physical form. So it was never made. It doesn't exist in form. It has no form. You can ask who made something of physical form. You cannot ask who made something that doesn't have any form. Because it's nothing. It's not made of anything. But it sure seems to know what it's doing. And not only does it make a world. It, it makes a world that's expanding. Well, what's expansion cause? Chaos or order? Chaos. But this God seems to have tremendous ability because there's tremendous order so it's like is it chaos or it's order the answer is he does chaos and order he's like he handles it all he does the chaos and he does the order which is pretty wild because in the physical world we only understand really chaos order is very hard to understand in physics how order comes and yet no one can get away from it it's always there there's always going to be order happening in an, in a world of chaos even your very skin, like if you cut the skin open, it just, stuff comes out of nowhere. Microbiological realities start appearing that you cannot find in your body. They're not in your body. Did you know that? Did you know the stuff that heals your body when you get a cut is not findable? You cannot find it in your body. It doesn't exist in your body. You have to get a cut first. It's wild. I, the, the, you know what plastic surgeons are? Plastic surgeons are like the masters of the skin. So the, the head of plastic surgery in Hadassah and Karim U- University is my uh, is one of my mountain bike partners. We ride mountain bikes together. And uh, I once asked him, I said, well, missed, I said, how do you explain that? Because he's not into God. How do you explain that? know, He says, I know stuff about the skin that you'd really freak out if you know what comes to heal your skin when it's cut. Because he's obviously has to know all the microbiology. He said, you'd really freak because what you, you already know that it's healed by things that don't exist in the body until you get cut. But he says, I know the, the minutiae, the great detail of that. And I said, so why don't you believe in God? So we're both on our bikes, you know, on the mountains. He's like, I prefer to leave it a question mark. And we ride off, you know. Now, what is that supposed to mean? It means I still enjoy shellfish. Okay, that's all. All it means is I like lobster. It's basically what it means. That's it. And, and people who know as much as he does have to, in the end, just say they like lobster. That's, that's why I keep it a question mark. Now, obviously, we mountain bike together. I'm not going to push him. That was as far as I've ever pushed, and he pushed me back with the lobster statement. Now, the next thing is how your life's orchestrated. Have you noticed? How, oh, is it 4 o'clock, by the way? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is it after four? Yeah. Okay. So what we'll do is today's Tuesday. So we'll do, uh, we'll continue with this. Um, tomorrow we'll do, we'll finish up God and then we'll do Torah and we might even be able to do transmission Masura. Okay. So, uh, everyone have a beautiful, wonderful, delicious, most amazing day ever. Shalom. Yep. Three o'clock. Mm-hmm. And these three classes are my last of the, uh, week because i mean uh, next week i'm on vacation with these guys we're going away shalom shalom everyone you've just experienced another torah class brought to you by torahanytime.com